hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now let's settle in to find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. Today's podcast is entitled For the Good Times, Grieving What Was Lost and Finding Hope After Deconstruction, Deconstructing Christianity. Now, today's podcast, like many of the other podcasts, uh, is inspired by something that happened recently. I know sometimes I am better off outside of church. I know this. That was where I landed after I deconstructed. But that doesn't mean that I don't miss the community or some of the experiences. Some of the best times of my life actually occurred in church, and it is okay to admit that. So someone commented about that on one of my videos on TikTok, and I think I had posted something on a Sunday because sometimes that's when those of us who have decided to leave church or are deconstructing away from church to figure out our, our, our paths going forward. Sundays can feel a little wobbly. We're used to this routine that starts to feel very, very comfortable. And sometimes so much so that our spirituality, our, our entire identity is on how we spend our Sundays. No matter what we do the rest of the week, how we spend, how we show up on Sundays is the extent of our spirituality. So a person commented about thanking me for my video, acknowledging that Sundays are hard and how much they miss their church community. And they didn't expect to miss it so much. So I realized that that was something that sometimes I deal with. And now someone else is commenting this. So I think it's time to talk about this. Because what was this person expressing in that comment? That person was expressing grief and sorrow and sadness. And I, like I said, I understand this all too well. It is not uncommon for grief to accompany the loss of any relationship, even the bad ones, even the ones that hurt you. Ask anyone who is, who is in an abusive relationship and then decided to leave where their partner abuses them either emotionally or spiritually. Sometimes they stay because of the fear of, of, of loss the fear uh, that, that they don't know what is out there beyond this relationship. It's all they know, or perhaps they've been convinced that this is all that life has for them. And that might not be the only reason that they stay, but when they do leave and they can still have the capacity and they should, if they're walking through their healing in a, in a sacred way that releases them from some of the harm that was done to them, They should hold a space for grief when the relationship was over because there had to have been good times. Why would you have ever entered into the relationship in the first place? So there were times where those things were that were right, felt good and held you together and bonded you to this person. And then there were things that went wrong, but those good things you can still miss you can even grieve the hope that you had in that person that you would hope that someday they would get better. So we're going to dive into this and, and uh, this could make you uncomfortable. Anytime we're talking about this big bucket of grief, 
this is something that people uh, typically want to avoid because experiencing grief is hard and revisiting grief is even harder and can be tricker, trickier. We'll discuss the importance of acknowledging its presence and simply the sacred wisdom, wisdom and simply experiencing it when it does arrive. Now, I understand it's fragile, but I invite you to stay here with me long enough and let's explore this together. So even if you don't think that you hold, you're holding on to grief in any way, or you think you're, you're processing it beautifully and, and, and naturally and organically in your life. Another reason to stay here is because this could possibly make you a better listener, more empathic and better able to hold the space if, and when you are called to do something for someone who is suffering loss, because that is one thing we do not do well. We do not hold the space for grieving well, especially here in America. Oftentimes we don't hold the space for another's pain because we do a horrible job of holding our own pain. All right, so let's create this sacred space together to discuss grief by, first of all, just pausing here and recognizing the special gentleness that we need to place around this conversation. So after I read that comment where someone had shared her feelings of loss that was rising from missing her spiritual community, especially on a Sunday, I, I too, like I said, I realized my own grief about everything I had lost when I had left church. That was also spiraling around me. And especially as I tell my story uh, here on social media or I write about it in the blog, um, it can show up in really interesting way. So I thought about this comment and my own rising emotions of grief, and I decided to bring you into the conversation. So that's what this podcast is about. And that's what this week's blog, uh, blog is about as well. So I've shared before that uh, before I came to this online ministry, I offered one-on-one -on -one spiritual care and I loved it. Because my job was often just to ask questions that would arrive for me to ask my client and then just hold the space as they process the answers without judgment. I always made it very clear that just go with what arrives because sometimes it's a roadmap for where we're going. And oftentimes I can't see it because this, this sacred the sacredness that was passing between us was something that I had no control over. I was just there to hold the space as this person felt comfortable enough to peel back some layers of, of some of the, the armor that they had built up in, around their ex life experiences. And now we had created this safe space and they were willing to look at these answers from a different, different place in their lives. And it was a beautiful and sacred experience. And I was often humbled and amazed at these experiences and what humans were capable of seeing for themselves when they just felt seen and heard and safe enough to fully open and present and be present in our time together. Now, each client was indeed unique with their own life challenges and experiences, but there were some common elements that I began to see in these spiritual care sessions. And one of them was that we often got to a place where the person discovered how much grief they were carrying with them and how little they understood about its presence and its impact on their lives. And that's because there are so many misunderstandings about grief. I believe that especially here in America, like I said, we simply do not a good, do a good a job with accepting its arrival at the time of the event, at the time of loss that causes the grief, and somewhere down the road, maybe days, weeks, months, or even years past the event of loss. 
And I believe that's how we come to hold this process grief, where we, we try to step stamp it down and pretend it doesn't exist. One, because we're not taught how to experience it, just like we experience so many other things in our lives. Now, you may have heard, as I have had several times, and I, I think I actually... Uh, I think I actually taught from that at some place about this uh, five stages of grief that you probably have heard about. Now, I'm quoting this right from webmd.com. And again, I'll have all of this in the show notes so you can go reference these yourselves. But the five stages of grief have been around for quite a while. And I believe it's Elizabeth Kubler, who is the one who you can you can look that up. But I believe that's who's, who generated these five stages of grief. So the first one is absolute denial. When you first are confronted with tragedy, when you first learn about it, it's like, no this isn't happening. This can't be happening. I just talked to him or her, or we had plans to do X, or I was just getting ready to call them. All these things that just come in as a rush of overwhelming emotion, because you cannot process the reality of the tragedy that's facing you right now. Then the five stages of grief say that anger arrives. So once that reality sets in and you're faced with that pain or loss, this frustration and helplessness because you can't change anything about the outcome of this tragedy, that those feelings later turn to anger and you can turn it towards yourself. You can turn it towards other people. You can turn it towards uh, destruction, destroying things in your home, sadly getting physical and harming other people or pets or, or, or things like that, or even being angry at your loved one who has, who has died, because this is, these are all natural. These are all natural feelings that happen. Um, so don't feel any guilt about this, but sometimes when they're so big and large, they can move you to a place that's harder to bring you back into a state of balance where you can start to deal with the loss and move towards healing and moving towards back into your life. And then there's a stage called bargaining, where in this stage, you start to think about a sense of responsibility if things had been differently because you could have done something different. If only I had done this, if only I had called them sooner, if only I had sent that letter, all these things that you might try to strike a deal to make it sound like you, this guilt that you are carrying, somehow you're absolved with it because you always had good intentions. You just didn't get around to them. Then comes the depression. Depression can show up as a, as a sadness, as crying, as sleep, sleep issues, uh, not eating, self-medicating, uh, huge feelings of overwhelm and regret and loneliness. And that can, that, that of course can stay in ebb and flow with you for a while. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a depression that requires uh, therapy or medication, but it is something to always be aware of. It doesn't matter what's going on in our lives. Depression can be triggered by many different things, not just grief. And then the last stage is called acceptance, where this is where you have, as a final stage of grief, you just accept it. It can't be changed. And although you may feel sad, you know that you have to start turning back towards your life and facing it. So what skills and what resources do you need to pick yourself back up and move towards your life? Now, for many therapists and practitioners, including myself uh, in the healing modalities, the five stages of grief have proven to be harmful. 
because they can infer that you will, depending on how they're taught to you or how you see them in the time of your healing, because let's face it, you could read a book at one time in your life and read it another time when you're, you have a totally different look outlook on life. You, you live different experiences. You've healed certain parts of yourselves and, and see different things differently. But depending on where you are, when you read about this or you're, or someone teaches you about the five stages of grief, you might think that you're broken if you're not moving through all five or not all five show up or the fact that you can go through four stages and go all the way back into the first stage, which is denial. So sometimes those stages where you're expecting things like you might, uh, when you have a surgery and your recovery, you doctors can pretty much and therapists can pretty much figure out what your stages of healing are going to be in the physical realm, in the mental and emotional and spiritual realm. It's not quite that same. It's unique to that individual. So what to expect, what's going to show up is impacted greatly, much more greatly than your, by your mental and spiritual well-being than any other aspect of your life experiences. So sometimes can also, some people can also believe like, all right, I've navigated all through all five. I'm good. So again, comparing that to a surgery that you might have, and then you uh, start the healing, you get to the point where you're done with therapy, you're back into your daily activities, everything's working fine because you've recovered fully from that surgery. The physical realm and trying to apply that to what happens when we experience grief cannot be compared to the two. So thinking about stages in that way can, can trip you up if and when these hard and fast emotions show up when you can't figure out what they are. And it often, if we don't understand that grief can, and I would go be so bold as to say, will show up again, then you are ill-equipped to deal with it because you're blindsided when something arises and you don't know where this, this, this whole swell of emotions is coming from. I really, I recently just had this happen. I was uh, staying at my daughter's house and I was getting ready to leave and I was packing up and all of a sudden I just had this, this, this overwhelming sense of emotional to the point where I started to cry and I could not figure out its source. A lot of times if that happens, because I, I consider those big feelings, those emotions of, of sadness or overwhelm, they're, they're, they're signaling something is asking for light. And I've been doing this work enough with with spiritual care clients and in seminary that I know to pause and see what this is. The only thing I could come up with is that my grand dog is 19 years old and I was caring for him while, while she was away and he was laying there and looking so peaceful. But every time I leave him, I wonder if this is going to be the last time that I will see him. And he's been through a lot of our lives together. He was one of our first rescue dogs. As some of you may know, I mean, I was in animal welfare for years and he was one of our first and he's going to be our last. All the other dogs have, we had seven, what they call foster failures because we, uh, we fostered them, but they stayed and they were all close in age and they've died. And um, Rocco was our first and now he's going to be our last. And I don't know what that was. So I sat with him for a while. I thanked him for his presence and I gave him permission to leave if that's what this was. Now it did seem to bring me peace and he, he loved my pets and my presence while I did that. And then my feelings settled. So um, that was a week ago. He's still here and doing, doing fine. He's a stubborn old soul and he's not ready. He's not ready to leave us just yet. But the, the point is that 
I can't point that to whether I, you know, I have grief. I, I, I hold sadness for uh, my grandmothers who have gone and some other family members, my beloved aunt who have gone, uh, but that didn't feel at the time what that was. So that giving us ourselves permission to pause for a moment and say, what is this? We often feel like that's a sign of weakness instead of seeing this as strength that our, our mind and our body are, is asking us to pause for a minute and be with this moment and figure out what is going on. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But another, um, another resource that I went to was called speakinggrief.org. And the psychologist there recognized grief as something that comes with just like this big bucket of emotions. So that's why, and I love this description because I think that that's a better idea of what grief is. Grief is like a bucket, but inside that bucket are things like sadness, anger, guilt, relief, joy. And anybody who's ever cared for a long-term patient who is suffering in some way, that, that experience of relief can often feel like guilt, but it is there and it needs to be experienced. Uh, joy, anxiety, confusion, frustration, numbness, fear, hope, resentment, yearning, and envy. So those were the emotions that this, um, these experts put inside the bucket. But I also added a couple, just thinking about my own experience of deconstructing and eventually walking away from my religious heritage. I added regret and rejection because those were two things that I felt during that time that they would come up as part of my grief for losing that, something that I had given so much of my life to and being rejected in a way, and I shared some of this in, a, in an earlier podcast about how I had to come to accept the fact that who I was, was, a, was rejected because the, the, where I wanted to see my faith go could not be held inside the church because it was so, it did not bond well together, but yet Along comes Trump, who everyone in the evangelical realm, just about everyone, I don't mean to speak in, so in such broad terms, is supporting him. So that was, a big, that was a big experience for me. So oftentimes, what, what we need to do is also look at how, uh, as I said earlier, we need to look at how we do not do a good job of holding another person's pain because we do not hold the pain of our own grief well enough. And some of this is cultural, or it could be uh, familial, where I should be stronger. You hear things like, and I've heard people say this to people, you should be over this by now. It's been six months. None of that is true. But when we hear that, we can internalize it. And we start to, we start to try to suppress those motions that are arising and asking for light. So our societal demands often dictate that we wall off our pain and you'll also see people avoid you or not want to talk to you because they don't know what to say to you. So if you know that and you sense it, then you're going to try to pretend and live in this facade that everything is, is okay because you want people's companionship and you don't want them to feel responsible for you. So this, this whole dichotomy of emotions where you're holding this stuff in and not being able to find a safe space anywhere around you for someone to help hold your pain. 
And the reason why we can't is because we were taught the exact same thing. So it's just circular and we just keep coming around and coming around and coming around. And of course, religion also ex expands on this as well, where we're taught things like, well, you know, God won't give you what you can't handle. Think about the burden that you carry. God must love you. Think, things like that that can really mess up the mind and has absolutely nothing to do with scripture. But oftentimes religion's uh, part in this is to never distract whatever is going on in your life from the focus of the church, the focus of that religious institution. So if we hold up too much space as if your life matters outside of your, your religious experience, but primarily Christianity, because that's what I know, then you risk centering yourself and not focusing on the priority of the church. So sometimes your spiritual community can be your worst enemy when it comes to being able to be held, gently held and loved in grief. Now, that doesn't mean I have been in situations where I was part of the comfort and care committees in a lot of the churches where we attended, where I was helped prepare the place for the the family to come and be together after a funeral. I was there to help minister to people, but I also saw the other side of this. So there would be like a little minute where your grief and your experience was expected. And then it's time to get on with your life and back to the business of the church. And, and one of the things and I know I've spoken about this before is that the whole thought is that hallelujah your loved one is Jesus, they're with Jesus, they're so much better off. Now, depending on what happened with that individual, especially someone who is who's who was in horrible pain before passing, death can be a welcoming end to their lives. But are we really ready to say something like that about somebody who's passed at a young age? So I think it's very important that we don't let anybody around us tell us how to experience grief any more than we tell anybody, any more than anybody should tell us how we should be experiencing our life. That's the reason why we get so mucked up inside because we feel like we're always doing it wrong. No matter what it is, whether we're grieving or celebrating or honoring or loving or rejoicing, whatever it is, we are always looking for the roadmap for someone to tell us what is acceptable for us to do this right. So as I said earlier, that I feel like here in America, we don't do a good of job of that just as a collective uh, community. So I did go down a little bit of a rabbit hole and look at some of uh, what other cultures do with celebrating, celebrating and honoring their ancestors or loved ones who have passed. Now, the first thing that they come to mind for America is that we do celebrate, I shouldn't say uh, commemorate is the right word. We commemorate like things like 9-11 and Pearl Harbor, things where we had the big national tragedies that brought us together as a community. But how, how much intention do we put by, by that? Did you pause that day to remember? Did you pause to read some of the stories that show up on, in, on social media, media? Did you create a ritual around that for the rest of us who aren't in New York City? That's where we start to lose our place if we're not willing to figure out how we would pause and remember. So that's just something for you to consider as you think about your place in a community as, as part of this larger nation's experience. How do we show up to honor other, others, even if it's just in our own small way, if it's just in our living room or on our kitchen table or something like that. 
But as I said, the first one that came to mind for me is uh, the Day of Dead in, in Mexico. So that's one of their biggest cultural gatherings where altars are prepared, parades occur throughout, throughout the event, and it, it has lots of costumes, lots of color, but it's also about opening up those portals to say, to honor what was but is no more in a way that brings everyone together to celebrate because it, that, that celebration is so ingrained into their culture that it's everybody pauses to take, to take note of the Day of the Dead. Uh, in China, they have something called the Ghost Festival. And in Indonesia, the, the, the Chinese Indonesians honor that ghost festival by tossing up fake money in the air and offering prayers so that the souls of their ancestors can go to heaven. And here's one, and I'll put this in the show notes so you can go through and read because there's quite a few traditions there. But in South Korea, they hold an annual memorial service to honor their ancestors who were originally from a region that's now inaccessible to them because it is located in North Korea. So they get as close to the, the border as they can, and they have a ritual to honor those ancestors because they don't want to forget where they came from. And just because that the physical part is, is inaccessible to them, they find meaning and connection by, by holding on to this ritual. Now, here is one that I found interesting, and I, I, I want to caution you as you listen to this that to, to monitor your response to it, because I think it's also important that we do not, on the outside looking in, cannot judge a custom or rituals that's happening in around the world. But in Madagascar, they have one called the, the Fama Dihana. And again, if I'm, if I'm not saying that correctly, I, I go online and look at the most popular pronunciation. But this festival is called Turning of the Bones. This time of year, funeral or burial crypts are opened and bodies are cared for. They're, they're by family members. They rewrap them in fresh burial cloths, and often they will perform a ritual or dance with them before they before they bury them. And it's it's done with with reverence and respect. And I'm sure some of us can't even imagine doing something like that. But what the the image that's in this article that I'll put in the show notes shows a, a mother holding her three year old child's body and people caring for her walking along beside her as she holds her dead child in her in her arms now it's all wrapped up you can't see so it's not a graphic picture but you get you get the image and i think it's important that we we honor that and i think it's a it's a it's a beautiful ritual i'm sure i'm sure it is now here in america we do celebrate all saints and all souls day that is typically held around in churches more so than it, it's out in the greater area, but especially for those of you who like me are on a spiritual but not religious path, this might be something to incorporate into your spiritual practice to create an altar for your loved ones so that you start to bring that meaning into, into your life. And maybe this is a way that you invite either friends or family to start to create a custom that's uh, outside of your religious heritage, but starts to give you something that feels like a ritual and connects you to the divine and sacred ways, but also to your community and your loved ones. The interesting thing about uh, All Saints Day and All Souls Day, All Souls Day uh, is, was set up by the church, uh, the Catholic church to honor patron saints, saints of, of the church. All Saints Day was anybody who had 
who your loved ones who had passed. And the reason they were sent, it's usually, it is always November 1st and 2nd. The reason that it falls right at the, right, uh, at the close of October is because during that time, there were many rituals, including Samhain, which was uh, these, these rituals that were deep in the Celtic roots and other traditions that were earth-based traditions like the solstices or the full moon or harvest festivals, all these things that brought people together to acknowledge their, their community and their need for each other in ways that honored their ancestral traditions. Well, the church in a, in a need to direct the attention of the people away from their ancestral traditions and into new church traditions would always plant the church's events right next to these earth-based traditions or their, these ancestral traditions. So that's why you have uh, Samhain is or All Saints Day and All Souls Day is right around this tradition, just like you have, they set Jesus' birthday right around the solstice, uh, winter solstice and Easter right around the spring equinox. There's, there's reasons for all of this. And there's other, there's other uh, rituals in there as well. But the, those were very intentional to be able to direct the people to, go, to move away from those and into the church tradition. So just a little side note there that I always like to point out because it's important that you know where these church traditions came from, from as we may oftentimes feel like everyone should honor those church's traditions when in reality people have are more in tune to their ancestral traditions than you even know. So tapping into those in really sacred ways can be very meaningful for you. Okay, so I want to go to the next section by asking you how do you hold space for grief in your life? How do you honor what was but is no more? Because grief extends far beyond just the loss of a loved one. Grief can take many forms, the loss of a job, a home, a pet, a betrayal in a relationship. And like I said earlier, you could even grieve a, an abusive relationship. Grief is grief is grief. The heart knows no difference. So that is where we come to arriving with this conversation about grieving your religious heritage. And in the blog I write about, as I'm thinking about, okay, I know I'm going to write about this. I was just thinking about grieving my spiritual community and someone comments that, so I know something else is rising. And in the blog, I talk about as soon as I start to write, I love what comes up. I never really know what's going to show up. Sometimes it shows up in the middle of the night and I just have to start writing. I'm usually up between two and four every night. And that's where it's just all the noise of the day is out of my head and I can do some of my most powerful writing. But what came up for me was the words for the good times. And that was the name of this podcast. And the reason is that's a line from my childhood. I don't know if any of you know Ray Price. But uh, this song for the good times was released in 1970. And both of my parents, uh, even though they were divorced at that time, were huge Ray Price fans. So I heard this song a lot. And so it's called for the good times and his albums were back there. We had the big, the big albums. And even though I would much rather have listened to Davy Jones and, and uh, the monkeys singing sleepy Jean, I knew all the songs to all the country music songs and anything like that. And there's a line, and I even knew the words back then. So every when we, as I've grown, people always like to play trivia games with me because I always knew the names of songs and events and things like that because I, it's part of who I am that I remember things like that. I guess as a storyteller, that's what they tell me storytellers do. But the verses in that song say, let's just be glad we have this time together. 
there is no need to watch the bridges that were burning. So I now see that a song power enough to equally invite grief then hold that space while you experience it is indeed rare. So holding that space while you experience grief, the Ray Price in, this, in these lyrics saying, let's just be glad we had this time together, but let's not stay to watch our bridges burn. Acknowledge that something good was here for a while, but it's also time to leave because the fire might get too hot and we don't need to get close to us, close to it as that, as that bridge dies. And just as I'm processing those words, a song from 20 years later from Bonnie Raitt comes into my mind and it says, I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something it won't. So here in these hours, in this dark, in these final hours, I will lay down my heart and I will feel the power, but you won't because I can't make you love me if you don't. And then I truly remembered what love of something, grieving something that you love so much that it truly breaks your heart to the point like you don't know who you will be after it's over. You don't even know where to turn now that it's done. You wonder if you'll even survive out here without it. And once you do survive it, if you survive it, who will you become on the other side of this? So who will you become? Because at the moment of loss, that question may take years to answer. And for some, it may never completely be answered. And that is okay. Because for those of us who are willing to just experience this life and the searching for the divine is enough. That living in this gray area of not knowing is okay, but it takes work to be able to see that that can be a sacred experience. The writers of Bonnie Raitt's song had something interesting to say because what inspired them was a, just a short, short little update in their, in their Sunday morning paper that said something about a man going to prison because he demolished his ex-wife's car when he found out that she had a, uh, a boyfriend. And before the judge got ready to sentence him, he asked the man, what have you learned from this experience? And expecting him to say something like, my actions have consequences or something, just to make sure that the man was remorseful. Instead, the man paused and said, I guess I learned that you can't make someone love you if they don't want to. And that one sentence was enough of an inspiration for an entire song that gripped our nation for years, that truly had meaning for us, for so many people. And I understand this process so deeply because I will often read a story like that and I'll feel the inner story coming out and asking for life. And when I started thinking about, when I started thinking about what this blog was going to be about and what this podcast was going to be about, I honestly thought that what will show up for me to write about would be all the good things that happened in my church experiences, from sitting beside my grandmother in tent revivals, in Sunday school, from hearing her deep voice when she sing, she was singing the old time gospels, for being in the playground or walking through the church seminary after a Sunday picnic, sitting in those tent revivals for hours, and I never got bored, being a part of a community to help comfort people, to work together for a common goal, all those life experiences I carried that are part of the good that I also carry 
for the opposite side of that experience where the sorrow and the heartache live. These are all tucked in together. And I thought that was the story I would share with you, but that's not what arrived. What arrived was the opportunity to bring you into a conversation about grief and how we hold it, what we do with it when it comes around again, because it will. Because I am one of those who journeyed through the grief of losing my religious heritage. And then I answered the call to return to life. So I emerged from that spiritual wilderness I I had experienced on my deconstruction journey. And I came out on the other side of the experience. I was not quite the same. I am not the same person I was when I was in church. And I am forever changed and forever mindful of how fragile and precious this life really is. So while I am indeed grateful for the times that were good because they taught me what kindness looks like in humanity, I am equally grateful for the times that were bad for they pointed me to the path where I discovered who I truly am. I'm not, I didn't stay to watch those bridges burn. I built new bridges to do the work that I was called to do. And that is the story that arrived for you today, beloveds. It wasn't what I expected, but I pray what arrived carries the power of the human experience that is reflected in your own life story between who you were and who you are becoming, because that is living, loving, and losing. And that is the sacred wisdom of grief. Blessed be. Okay, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. Okay, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just as you are. Blessings on your week, and I will see you soon. wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!